Hello, welcome to season two of the Engineering Mavericks podcast. It's great to be back for another year. In this episode, I interviewed the UF Solar Gators racing team, fresh off their national championship run last year. We talk about the solar-powered race car, the design and construction of the car, how the members of the team see the organization as it benefits them personally, as well as some other fun side discussions. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Dickrell, and now a conversation with UF Solar Gators team. Okay, good morning. For the people who are listening, uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves so we know who's talking. Uh, I'm Matthew Shen. I'm a third year electrical engineering student and I'm the electrical PM on Solar Gators. My name is Kurt Smith. I'm a third year mechanical engineering student and I'm the mechanical, one half of the mechanical PM for the Solar Gators team. My name is Lauren Shaw. I'm a fourth year mechanical engineering student and I make up the other half of our two mechanical project managers this year. You're a member of the, what's the official name, the Solar Gators? Is that what you would call yourself? Yeah. So yeah, the reason why you're here is you did, or the team did, very well in the annual competition this year. So how, how well did you do? At the, at the Formula Sun Grand Prix, which is a race that comprises schools from the, mostly the U.S. and Canada, we won first place out of 11 teams. Uh, it's open internationally. We've had teams in past years come from Russia, um, from Europe, from Australia before, uh, but primarily will come from the U.S. and Puerto Rico as well and Canada. For those who don't know, and I actually don't, I know just a little bit, uh, you build a solar-powered vehicle from scratch, right? A solar-powered vehicle from scratch, and then you race it, and it's, it's, not a, it's probably an endurance race, right? Or, or it's not like a drag race? Yes, yeah, so the race is primarily an endurance race. You've got three days at the Grand Prix event, eight hours a day, so a total of 24 hours pretty much, to put as many laps on your car as you can over that period of time. You start with a full battery, and that's all you get as a single occupant vehicle, and your goal is to just go around the track and try to drain the whole battery by the end of that 24 hours. Um, and go as far as you can by adding additional energy from your solar array. What does the vehicle look like, if you had to describe it? It looks kind of like a boat. Um, We get boat comparisons a lot, and there are two kind of main design philosophies currently in solar car racing. One is like a monohull, and one is a catamaran, so also very boat-inspired. It's honestly like kind of a single-seater go-kart, but if you put a really lightweight aerodynamic boat shell around it. Um, that's also allowed to package your uh, solar array, which we have a regulation on how big our solar array can be depending on the quality of commercially available solar panels. Right now we can have four square meters. How fast does it go? We've had it up to on the track this year. I think we hit about 55 miles an hour on our fastest lap. It's a, it's a personal choice how fast you want to go around the track. Most cars don't go much faster than 55 miles an hour. Or else, like Lauren said, that's when they start to start looking at the regulations because they don't want it to be a race about speed. They want it to be a race about endurance. And that's when they'll shrink your solar array size um, maximum. And then that kind of regulates how fast you can go around the track. Is there an optimum speed to maximize range or you could just run it flat out, right? Well, uh, the optimal speed for a car is probably very slow. But to like do well in the race, we run faster than what our most efficient speed would be. Okay, so if it wasn't a 24-hour time, like if you could have an infinite amount of time, the optimal speed would be very slow. You just sort of creep for... 
pretty much. Days and days. Yeah. I mean, we could be energy neutral if we wanted to, if we wanted to go slow enough on a sunny enough day. Um, but obviously, you want to be empty. Why would you want to have energy left in your pack at the end yeah. of the race? Cool. All right, so you won. You you won the contest. Was that a surprise? Very much yeah. so. <laughs> Why was it a surprise? We showed up with basically no plan. I mean, we, we tried our best to plan. We had some telemetry issues following the installation of our solar array and like the electronic components that like pushed the energy into our pack and into our car. And then once we fixed those, we had about two straight weeks of rain. So we had basically no data coming into it about how efficient our solar array was actually going to be. And so the numbers we like kind of started pulling off of the car in the first day in Kansas were kind of a surprise to us. Uh, so a lot of our strategy was kind of redone during that day to account for like what was happening. And Matthew was super influential in the creation of that solar array. Yeah, and in addition, a lot of the electronic components on the car were tested for the first time at the race. And we were still fixing issues like up until the start line. I think I got a total of about 16 hours of sleep over the five nights. I mean, every night was a was an all-nighter trying to make sure everything was working. It was worth it. So when you watch, if you watch like Olympic races, sometimes they're really close. Sometimes it's a, it's a slaughter. How would you characterize your particular performance of the competition? You know, was it neck and neck or did you just absolutely decimate everybody? On the, on the first day of the race, we were uh, neck and neck with another school, Principia College, which historically has done very well in the race, but they started having some uh, issues on the second and third day, and we pulled pretty far ahead of them after that. Once we kind of reached that point, we started saying, like, let's try and compete for the track records because the competition has been at the same track in Kansas for three years. And so not only can we like kind of quantify our performance in comparison to this year, but even with the different conditions of the sun, we can qualify quantify our performance in regards to the two years prior to it. And so Principia College, we were competing last year, set the, rack, the lap record with 299 laps. And so one of our goals that we didn't get, end up meeting, but we got a lot closer than we thought we did, was to kind of set 300 laps and set the overall track race record. Um, and we ended up setting the third place record. So uh, it would go for the three years of racing we've done there so far, Principia, MIT, and then us and that places us kind of ahead of a lot of stronger schools like Kentucky and like Illinois or Bonne-Champaign that we kind of never expected ourselves to be able to compete with. Do you have pressure on you this year to replicate or exceed or are you just gonna see what happens? Um, so for the next year, we're actually kind of taking on a whole nother beast of a competition. So last year, we only had the track race, which is three days around the track. And that's because there's a world solar challenge in Australia, this coming October, that kind of has 50 to 60 teams from all around the globe, primarily Europe. Um, but next year, we'll be competing in the American Solar Challenge, which is a seven-day road race along uh, like a national trail because we partner with the National Parks and Trail System. Um, and so for us, even though we'll, we'll be racing an older car, it's a lot about, as a team, planning the logistics of that race because uh, there's a lot of things you have to think about when you're camping along with the car for seven straight days and using a car that we know is well-tested so that we can perform really well with a younger car in the future. Okay, so it sounds like you're stepping up to bigger competitions. We're in the real race now. We've just been competing in the baby race. Oh, really? Okay. So, yeah, I did, didn't know there were, there were tiers. And they run that one every other year, like she said. Um, so this is kind of our opportunity to bring a car, yeah, that we 
know did really well to uh, another level before we go through and then that's what starts our next design cycle to our, our next car. How many people are on the team? There is a lot of people on the team. I would say there's probably about 50 people total who are really um, core members of the team who contribute a good amount of their time. Um, about 50-50 split between electrical and mechanical. Yeah, I mean, with, with any large population, you're going to have a distribution of labor. And like, what's the, what's the weekly workload in crunch time for the core membership? I would say, you know, me and Lauren spend probably, and Matthew too, spend every waking moment thinking about solar gators almost. Um, you know, it's the most important part of our lives. Um, and you know, a lot of those other members, you know, they, anytime you need them, hit them up on teams, they're ready to answer your questions. Or if you've got something for them to do, they're ready to help you. So do you have any industry partners or, you know, is there, is there a pipeline from solar gators into some particular field or company or, you know, how does that work with outside partnerships? It's something we're growing. So we were formed we were formed in 2016. And so a lot of our alumni didn't graduate until 2019, 2020, and then COVID hit. Um, and so it's something that we're growing as we establish more alumni. Um, but we're finally kind of getting to the point as a team where, oh, our alumni are recruiting and they'll come and talk to us. Um, we have a lot of alumni, like in a lot of the defense companies in Florida, Lockheed. Um, we have alumni kind of all over the place. And that's just something we're trying to build as a team of like how, since we're so young and we have so little alumni, how do we make sure we're keeping them engaged and like making sure we're doing what's best for the team? I didn't realize the team was that young, as you put it, you know, that as a organization that's only what, six or seven years old, you know, that's a pretty, it's a pretty meteoric rise. You know, a lot of teams probably struggle for a while before they do as well as you guys did last year. With the success, is it easier to recruit now or is recruitment the same? Like, you know, your influx of, of new people. I mean, we've got, I think, what? We feel like we've got a pretty good record number of people in our, you know, we run a new member group, me, and we kind of go out and we table and we say, hey, you know, sign up for this form, join this group chat, and we'll tell you when we're doing stuff. We've got probably a record number of people in that group chat this year. Um, but I, I couldn't say whether or not that's because we won first place. Yeah, I think a lot of like half the battle with being a design team is just making sure people know you exist because it's hard. You can't convince a student to do a design team in the way because either you start and you join and you fall absolutely in love with it or it's just not your thing. And so it's hard like we do whatever we can to like retain new members and teach those who want to learn. But for some people, it's just not like their thing. And so like the biggest thing that we can do as a team to increase our recruiting is just making sure that like a freshman engineer on the University of Florida's campus knows that there's a solar electric car team. And so I think that winning helped with that because we got a little bit more attention in UF Wertheim and on like the MA website. Um, so I think those routes like kind of helped like any kid interested in joining know that we exist or, you know, someone tells a roommate, oh, I saw this organization on campus. Um, so I think that'll end up helping us, but we're still in our recruitment process. So. so mixture of electrical and mechanical, that's what I heard you say. Are there, are there any other engineering majors that sprinkled in there or is it, is it primarily just those two? Yeah. So our team is probably 
probably consists of about two-thirds MAE students and one-third ECE. And then we have a few other majors sprinkled in. Uh, we have some chemis, some computer science, and sustainability majors as well. Is there a portion of the competition that's not just a race? You know, is there a, like a re report writing or some sort of like technical presentation in that particular competition, or is that in a different one? Um, so there's a report that we have to write. We write a vehicle design report every year. Uh, there's a battery report, an electrical report, and a mechanical report. Uh, that's not actually scored, though. It doesn't really factor into our scoring. That's just to make sure that the people at the competition feel that it's safe. The cars go through, like, a three-day scrutineering as well, um, and, like, how fast you complete that determines your starting position in the race. And so through that, like, apart from us having our battery scrutineered and like the car like statically scrutineered and getting a lot of feedback from the people who do that, we go through dynamic testing as well. So we do a figure eight, we do a slalom, we do a braking test um, and a U-turn. Uh, so that kind of makes sure that they feel comfortable putting the car on the track. And so it's it gives us things to design around, but it's not necessarily factored into our scoring. If I wanted to build your car myself, Right. I wanted I wanted a replica of the national championship solar gator car in my garage. What would it cost me? Another question. Does that include all the mistakes we made along the way? <laughs> um, no. I simply just want to know, like, if I go to to Amazon or Best Buy, how many? You know, what, what's the credit card bill that I'm gonna get? No. I mean, it, it, it's up there. You're you're gonna spend a lot of money. I'll tell you that much. You could buy a Corvette. It seems complex, right? You're talking about solar panels. Um, you know, batteries, some way to convey that electrical energy to the mechanical systems. Your body, I think it's made out of what, carbon fiber. Yeah, all right. So it's, you know, that that's not cheap. So that's, you know, you know are we talking about, a, all right, engineers, give me an order of magnitude, right? Is it $10,000, $100,000, million? You know, what's it closer to? It's probably closest to $100,000, but a large portion of the money that we spend on the car is not on the car. It's like stuff we've taken out, redesigned, redone, stuff like that. Do you have, I'm going to assume you have department support early. Now, how do you, how do you get money to pay for stuff? Yeah. Um, a lot of our car was funded by student government. Um, a lot of the changes that we made last year were funded through MAE, who's been really great and supportive. Um, EC has to some extent as well, especially with helping out with paying for a competition. Um, recently we've been looking into getting a lot of grants, um, and looking into grant funding. Um, and a lot of it's just getting scrap materials from local composites companies, anyone, anyone who's willing to give us kind of anything, um, because there's things that we know we won't be able to get sponsored, our motor, our solar panels, our batteries. Like once you start adding up all of those pot like costs, you need to make sure that as many materials you can get for free that you're getting for free. You're at the competition. You said it was it was pretty last minute nail biting. Do you have any good anecdotes from the competition that you know are good bar stories? Even though we're not at a bar right now. Car flipped over. The car flipped over. Okay. How did how did that happen? Um, so this was this was on our first day, I think, um, when we were still kind of developing our strategy and we didn't really know what we were doing. So we kept just kind of saying, you know, let's keep going around the track. And uh, one of our drivers, he slipped off the track with his front right tire. 
Um, and you know, there's a little bit of a lip on the track and when you've got those real skinny wheels like the solar cars have and you try to pull it back up, it doesn't want to pull back up on the track. Just like, you know, if you're riding a bike and you slip off the sidewalk, same kind of deal. So he pulled left a little bit too hard and the uh, car actually went on its side and slid for a little bit. But he was all right and the car was all right. They pushed it back over, we towed it back, inspected it, and then kept racing. The wheels and tires are closer to bike tires than they are like car tires. Or... They're basically moped tires, actually. Okay. They come off a moped. Not I the see. ones we use in the competition, but there are ones that fit on our wheels that are literally... And then Bridgestone actually custom designs solar car tires, um, and so they're tires that are just designed to have the lowest coefficient of rolling resistance possible. Um, that they sell out to us, and those tires really don't have anything on them. They're super thin. Um, how many How many of those tires do you have? Yeah, we've got four new sets, and I think one set that we used at comp that's still kind of all right. Um, this is kind of our first time using them, so that was one of the things that we were pretty worried about, honestly. I was worried about it, is looking at the wear of the tires, because some teams are like, oh, well, we change our tires every day. And I was looking at them at the end of the first day, and I'm like, these look fine. Yeah. But, you know, the risk is, okay, you keep running them, you, you know, run a flat out on the track, that can be, you know, 20, 30 minutes of time lost, and that's, that's a lot of laps. I guess now you question, do you have four wheels or three wheels? You can do three wheels as of this year again. Um, when, when were those taken out of the regs? Uh, 2018. Yeah, they were, they were taken out in 2018, but then this year they decided to put them back in with the stipulation of a 45-degree static tip test. So you have to be able to you know go on a 45-degree incline with the car on three wheels and not tip, which we kind of did the math on that. Lauren wrote a lot of MATLAB scripts for that, and we determined that it would be not beneficial for our aero body to have that wider front span just to support the 45 degree tip test with three wheels we could actually get a narrower hopefully more efficient body for our next car that we're designing with um with four wheels still so we're sticking with four wheels okay so what would be the advantage of three wheels is just less weight less weight you're dropping that entire kind of back rear like wheel assembly uh and then the other idea would be that if you could theoretically keep your front track with the exact same then you can pivot and like you can kind of narrow the the rear of the aero body uh just like quicker a lot faster than um, with four wheels yeah. yeah but what we found is if you do have to up your front track width to compensate that and some of that is just this will be our fourth car that we're building um we're probably around like halfway through the design process we're just not at a place with with all the changes that we're making we can accurately estimate where our center of gravity is going to come up so we have a target spec that we know we're not going to go above that we can like sound but and we're not at a place where we can just say we're going to make these three changes and we're very confident that our center of gravity is going to end up here. There's too much uncertainty. When you say future designs, is there anything on the on the whiteboard that is, is out there that you're excited to maybe try or you're just focusing on what you've done well with so far? Yeah, so mechanically we're moving from a steel space frame chassis to a monocoque chassis. Um, so for that design, we take pre-manufactured sandwich panels, half inch thick at the moment is what we're planning on going with. And we glue them together inside of that aero body and connect it all. And that's what comprises the chassis rather than building, you know, what you would think of a, like a go-kart chassis with all your steel frame and 
it just is a lot lighter and also gives you a, a lot stiffer of an aero body to work with. So it's a huge improvement for the car. How much lighter? So far, what I've calculated is about half of the weight is going to get cut off. We're probably going to be going down from about 85 pounds to 45 pounds, give or take. Is that, all right, so, you know, 50% reduction in weight, is is it a commensurate increase in performance or is it nonlinear? Like, how does that scale? So from what we've calculated, uh, once you go above 20 miles per hour, like a lot of those losses are going to be aerodynamic. Um, so we like to put aero first a lot of the time. Um, a lot of the other subsystems are designed to kind of revolve around aero. Um, but with that weight, there is going to be kind of like a linear, like, loss at the tire patch so or like gain at the tire patch by dropping down that weight um however if we were to drop that weight and make a way worse aero body then you know it's a give and a take real world engineering is an interesting collision between all of the classes you end up taking you know at some point before you graduate you realize oh all of these classes do do intersect in one place although you know design teams they figure that they figure that out quicker that I would say most students, just the reality, reality of life. How about you in terms of the electrical side? So cutting the, the vehicle weight down, how about on the, on the, the electron side? Uh, yeah, so for the, for the electrical side, the challenge is always reliability. You want your car to last the whole 24 hours of the race. When you're doing the ASC, it's lasting even longer than that. And Everything just has to work. Your motor controller has to stay on. Your battery management system has to work. Everything has to talk to each other. Uh, so a lot of the improvements for our next car will be stuff like uh, fault tolerance, having multiple communication networks on the car, making sure nothing goes wrong, uh, maintaining high levels of code quality. But another, the other things that I'm pretty excited for is um, now that we do have a lot of the base infrastructure of our car fully working, we can design, uh, we can redesign some of the high voltage components of our car to be more performant. So uh, in the next car, it's going to be the first time we're going to design our own battery management system. And that's one of the larger projects on electrical this year. Is there risk in that? Yeah, there's definitely risk in that. Uh, you You absorb all of the complexity that goes with that the you have to make sure nothing fails so when you say battery management system is that purely an optimization system or is that make sure the batteries stay alive and functional the majority of its function is safety so you have to detect when uh, you have a variety of fault conditions when a battery is over discharging or overcharging or it's or if it's over a temperature limit and you have to alert the other systems on the car and open the battery contactors as needed. Uh, Another component is performance. So because the different cells in your backpack may have slightly different internal chemistry, they can discharge at different rates. Uh, Over time, this builds up an imbalance in the pack, which limits the maximum that you can charge and the maximum that you can discharge. So if you can find a way to efficiently move charge between cells to rebalance that, that improves the effective capacity of your pack. Your battery management system sounds ridiculously complicated. Is it just for funsies or like, is there, is there some performance edge that you're trying to, to wring out? Uh, 
Yeah, so it's for both of those things. Okay. The, the performance feature would be uh, designing an efficient active balancing system to redistribute charge between cells. Most battery management systems in actual electric cars, like the kind of similar to the ones that we're using right now, uh, use passive balancing, which discharges highly charged cells and throws that energy away. So in an EV where you drain the pack once, it's not possible to drain the pack multiple times, like in a solar car, you can only accumulate like so much imbalance. And the cost of uh, both the components and the BMS and the engineering time is not worth it to implement such a system in like a normal car. But in a solar car, that performance gain becomes important. I would say the more we do, the more obviously we're inducing more risk into our car. Um, but that's why we do the math. That's why we do the engineering. That's what we're here for. One of the greatest team things about being a team that's working on their fourth car is there's so many nooks and crannies of this car that someone just did. Like, we just had to get it done. Someone had to do it. There's not a ton of math or, like, there's a lot of places for a person on this team to put like love and work and engineering into something that there just wasn't time to engineer before. Um, so like one of my first projects on the team was taking a component, our brake pedal that had been completely off the shelf and just saying, this is mine now I'm going to do it. Like, and then kind of like working that and being the first person to do something like that custom. And so there's so many places on our car that still need improvement. We're not taking like, we're taking a well-designed car making it better, but we're taking a very young car. Um, we're not at the point where it's all about optimizing. There's still there's a, a lot of there's rough, still a, a lot, lot of rough edges, edges um, and a lot of places that like there's just we have so much work to do um, to get to where we could could be. And so it would be it was really cool to compete against cars that are kind of at that other side of the level where these teams have existed for 20, 30 years. They're on their I think Principia was on their like 12th or 13th car. Um, something like that, maybe 10th or 11th, but there's a lot of places. Do you think the new monocoque chassis will be ready for primetime this year? We're going to keep the car we have now. We're making a couple minor improvements to, uh, it's car three or Sunrider is the, the one we raced this past summer. And then we're going to go race that one again. A couple minor projects for some of our new members. We like to have them come in and work on some stuff on the car. Um, important stuff, you know, not just... Uh, just do this, and we're never going to implement this. You know, we we need them to come in and do a good job, and you know, increase the reliability of car three. And then this monocoque that we're designing, and all this other stuff, is hopefully going to go on car four, which will be ready to race in the 2025 okay. uh, Grand Prix. Do you ever take the car out for fun? So not for fun, but uh, we take it out for testing. I mean, it's fun for all of us. It's fun to test. Um, we're currently in the process of trying to get a vehicle identification number for it and a license plate, which is hard because we don't have any other solar car teams in Florida who have done it first. Um, and some states have like an experimental motorcycle category that you can get your solar car licensed under. Um, so we went to the Florida DMV and said, hey, can you inspect us? And they said, I don't know who you are or what you're doing. Go to the National Highway like <laughs> Transportation Department. Um, so we just submitted that application. Uh, hopefully in a couple of months they'll send someone out to inspect it and we'll be able to like fully road test. Um, and then we want to take it on hopefully some multi-day trips uh, around Florida to kind of test. Um, but we drove it around campus a lot last spring. Uh, 
one of the good things about being a solar car and like being designed for a road race is that it's kind of easier to test it on the road and test it as long as you have a caravan. Yeah, we kind of just block up and we'll, we'll put a scout car, we'll get a lead car, we've got lights and magnets and stuff for the lead car, and then we put the solar car behind it and then a chase car to keep it kind of protected on the road wherever we go. Do you design for driver experience or you just tell the driver, you know, suck it up, it's going to suck for a little while? Driver experience sounds like an inefficiency. I understand that, but, you know, on any long road trip at some point, you know, your your butt goes numb. Your you know you start to feel bad, and so this is is this a situation where has any engineering thought been put into, um, while not too much affecting performance, like a little pad, like some yeah, something for the driver. Yeah, we this year they got a seat cushion. I didn't my year, and then we have a fan that's hooked up to the supplemental battery. Um, but we've also found that it's really good to put your people in who are the most devoted because those are the people who will kind of, like, it's okay that it hurts. Like, it's okay that my foot went numb in the car and, like, I didn't care. Like, I'm in the car, I'm driving. And so putting those people who have the biggest stake in the game into the car um, really kind of, I think, maximizes your chance of success because there's, like, they're still going to communicate to you if there's anything seriously wrong or if there's any, like, true discomfort, but they're willing to kind of take a little bit less ergonomic driving experience in order, like, for the sake of the car. Um, but we did. We pulled a driver out of the car this year because his fingers went numb. If you are willing to suffer for the team and you're not hurting yourself, that's kind of like the sweet spot of, yeah, it's it's a, you know, NASCAR drivers, they have to be in ridiculous shape because the driving environment is, you know, not hospitable. But, you know, like they're there for the competition. So in the same way, I was just sort of curious as to what what being in – behind the driver's seat of the, the Solar Gator Sunrider car would be like, it sounds like it's not luxurious, but it's not torture either. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I would, I love driving it. Any, any opportunity any of us get. Yeah. It's, it's still pretty luxurious compared to solar cars from maybe 20 years ago. Uh, uh, over the time, they've added regulations for driver seating position, the amount of space the driver needs, and requiring ventilation for the driver, and also requiring a steering wheel which uh, didn't used to be a thing. Yeah, you know, they would lay down flat in their solar car and use tank steering, and that was how you drove it, and you'd be like this. Is there anything you guys want to sort of say or, or transmit? I don't know. I think I'm someone who preaches a lot to the value of joining a design team in your time at the University of Florida, just any team. Um, all of them are so amazing and great. Um, I came into college very, like, not iffy about engineering. I knew I wanted to be like I knew I wanted to be an engineer, but iffy about the design side of things. Like that was some the design side of things and kind of the more like getting hands on with it side of things were not things that were naturally in my comfort zone. Um, and everything that I've done through like my years on this team have made me a confident engineer. They've made me someone who can just attack problems, even though I don't know where I'm going. Um, it really teaches you how to research how to kind of attack a problem there's no answer for. Like, there's not always the guidance that you need because there's not always somebody who knows the answer to your questions. And so I just think that, like, something like a design team, if, like, you're in any way interested, is such, like, a way to involve yourself in engineering and prepare yourself to just, like, tackle an internship or tackle, like, a full-time position. 
um, going into like a professional environment this summer was so easy for me because I was like, oh, there's people here who can answer my questions. This isn't like solar at all. Like there's people to help you and not that there's not people to help you. It's just, we're all kind of going in blind at all times. Um, so yeah, I, before I joined the team, I had, you know, no interest in, I wanted to be an engineer, but I had no interest really in applying that to my personal life. Um, you know, whether that's doing your, your force calculations before you build something or thinking about, okay, what's the best material to build this out of? Because I spend a lot of time working on my own car at home and, you know, it's always just kind of, you know, do, do whatever you want. It's, it doesn't matter. It's not real. Um, but then, you know, joining this team, you know, you learn that, okay, like this is cool. I can go and I can think about if I'm going to design this structure that goes under my car to, you know, better reinforce my the frame of my car, then I can actually sit down and look at, okay, what metal do I need to pick? How strong do these welds need to be? How much area do I need to attach it on both front and back end and, you know, really delve into it? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that being on the solar car team taught me was how to manage effort, I guess. So some of our most limited resources are money and engineering time. So when you're doing schoolwork, you you just put in the amount of effort that gets you to the minimum viable product and you're done. But on solar car, there are so many different things you have to balance. Do I want to spend more time increasing testing for this component or make this other component more efficient? So learning to manage that, manage time has been something that's, in addition to the technical skills, something that was valuable on top of my coursework. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's taught me just kind of how to back up and communicate my ideas and not to not only say, I think this is where we should go, but I think this is where we should go because I've researched it and I've hand calced it and I've simulated it and I have all of these things. And then also solar car really teaches you kind of like design for manufacturing. Like you cannot get out of solar car without having like a very deep idea of I designed this. This is how I'm going to do it with the limited resources I have. Um, our When our third car was finished during COVID and when we got our rolling chassis, every single component of our suspension was completely redesigned and overhauled so that they could manufacture it solely on the water jet and the manual mill because that was all they had access to at the time. Um, and like three or four members spent like a month just doing that. And so you really like, you really and like also like when like when is it worth to put the effort to make something that will be really pretty and done on the CNC and really light and like when is it better to just try and make it as simplistic as possible for time and engineering so if someone out there listening wanted to look you guys up on social media or the internets do you have uh, a place for them to go yeah so we have our instagram is at uf solar gators um, our website is www.ufsolargators.org, um, and then we're on Facebook as well. Uh, and there's a lot of cool videos about, um, like, our car that you can kind of see it and get a little bit more idea of what it looks like. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please stay tuned for more insightful and interesting conversations with people in engineering, industry, and science.